You know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk. Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we assign our guests a year and they choose one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year to discuss. Today we're joined by John Rossi of the band Ivy League. They have just put out a new single called The Weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, The Weight, Heaviness. That is available on Spotify and all other forms of streaming. And they have a song coming out on all the streaming services. The new song is called We Are Infinite. I highly recommend everyone check that out. This is a really fun conversation with John. That He goes all over the place. But what are we talking about today? We are talking about the year 1984 and the monster double album uh, Zen Arcade by Husker Du. Yeah, this is... This is a big one. We've talked Who's Do in the past, but we haven't talked Zen Arcade. And uh, I, I was really excited to get to this one. And this conversation is really good and it goes in different directions than our typical Who's Do conversations have gone, which, you know, we've covered the band twice before. So we might as well, like, do something different when we talk about them a third time. And if you head over to our Patreon for one dollar, you get access to all of our weekly bonus audio. This week, we're going to do a chart dive on the year 1984. You know how the 80s go. We tend to run out of punk records to talk about after like three pages. So we'll probably do an overall on that year. Maybe look at some other sources for 84. And the new release Friday bonus audio every week on Friday, usually in the afternoon, evening. That'll be where I talk about four to five new albums released that day. All of that is at patreon.com slash punklottopod. And we're on all forms of social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at punklottopod. Punklottopod.gmail.com and 202-688-PUNK is our voicemail where you can call and leave us a message. That is everything, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with John Rossi about Zen Arcade.
we're joined here today by John Rossi of the band Ivy League. John, how are you? It's going really well, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to do this, and I'm pumped to meet you guys and see your faces. Where are you uh, doing this out of? Uh, my house. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, like what? Um, where are you guys based out of? Oh, I am in North Carolina. Okay. I'm in L.A. Oh, nice, nice. There's nothing wrong with North Carolina. Um, I, I, I <laughs> oh, yeah, your reaction was much more positive yeah. to L.A. than... <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, a good a good place that I've heard of before. <laughs> There's a North Carolina? <laughs> How many of them are there? <laughs> I, um, I, I, no, I love North Carolina. I've, uh, I've been to Raleigh a couple times. That's in North Carolina, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. There, see, that will just show you it's like when I've been to Raleigh. Yeah. I've been like on the road, so you're like, where are we? Where are we today? <laughs> but I used to. Um, I have a bunch of friends out in LA, um, so it's nice. Where in LA are you, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm in East Hollywood. Oh, cool, cool, cool. So I have a bunch of friends in Burbank area. Yeah. Um, haven't been out there in a minute though. So you're? Are you in New York City? I'm in Brooklyn, technically. Oh. Yeah, I'm on the border of Bushwick and Queens. I'm in a place called Ridgewood. Which is interesting because it, it's like for a while it was Brooklyn. Yeah. And like now it's Queens. But it's like <laughs> I call it six blocks from bullshit. I'm like six blocks from like when it gets to like that hipster Bushwick kind of place. Mm-hmm. I really care for. Where, are you originally from New York? Yeah. Born and raised. Oh, nice. Yeah. Dylan's from where I am. He's just. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are brothers? Yeah. That's yeah. so cool, man. How what's the age difference? Four years, right? No shit. Three and a half, yeah. That's like me and my brother. Yeah. Yeah. Are you the younger or the older? I'm the younger. Nice. Although he can't grow a beard. <laughs> so the only reason why I've, I've ever grown this is because <laughs> he's six two, like two like thirty. Like he's like a you know, college athlete and I'm five eleven, like one fifty. But I can grow <laughs> a beard. So I'm like fuck. You me. gotta one up him somehow. Yeah, somehow, man. I'm the younger brother. <laughs> We have an even younger brother too. He's uh 19. Actually, he's about to turn 20. Wow. Uh, yeah, just, you want uh, His job as a paramedic or not paramedic, but EMT. So it's just like, oh, cool. You're doing like grown up shit. Uh, yeah, dude, that, dude, that's so funny <laughs> because people ask me to like, like we have I have a brother, older brother, and an older sister, and it's like, it's like, oh, like what does your brother do? And I'm like, I don't know. Like he's a he's a financial advisor. Like he makes money <laughs> making people money. Like worked for a hedge fund, whatever. Like he he I I just say like he attributes to society and I make arts and crafts. Like that's what I do. Yeah. Like professionally I just creative. My sister's an educator. I'm like, no, they're they they the world spins because of them. I'm over here because I am the baby where it's like <laughs> I, my, like I was told that I was special by my mom when I was a young kid, so I just think I'm special. Like, but, but yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, he's EMT. I work in a warehouse, but I'm going to broadcast school. So you know, real grown up. <laughs> yeah, I'm 32. I'm a barista. I live in LA. Um, I still think that my band can make it. <laughs> Dude. It's so funny because someone said they were like, um, I work in film and they were like, uh, like, how's things going? How's work going? I'm like, things are going good. It's like, you know, just living the dream. And the guy looked at me and he's like, live it for me, please. <laughs> I'm like, okay, man, it's a lot of pressure. I'm just, you know, he's like, no, you're, he's like, you, you, you don't realize the kind of situation you're in right now. I'm like, right, I don't, don't, 
I'm going to, don't make me hate it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm in a band. Like we're doing all this good thing. He's like, oh, I wish I could do that. I'm like, dude, you, that's a, this is not therapy hour. You should probably right. talk about that. I mean, you, you can just do it. I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. might, you might disappoint everyone in your life and, you know, not be able to provide for your children or anything, but <laughs> I was like, he, I was like, no, it's the reason why I'm single and I'm not having kids. I was like, cause I'm too goddamn selfish to do anything like that. I'm like, oh, my music is, is what I want to do. <laughs> it's my baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got to get home to the kids uh, <laughs> making demos with a drum machine in my bedroom. <laughs> I've definitely had conversations with my brother. I'm like, hey, man, like, like, because we're very, we're very, very, very close. And uh, and I'll call him up like, hey, like, what's going on? You know, I'll be like really depressed that day or whatever. I'm like. And I'm like, what's up? And he's like, you know, yeah, just this, this, this. And he'll like lay out some like real life shit. <laughs> some like visceral shit. And he's like, what are you up to? And I'm like, oh, I'm watching Scooby Doo on my couch right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like he just he just he just left his firm and like started his own firm. He's he's <laughs> pregnant with a second child. He's got a kid already. My goddaughter, who I love more than life itself, but like. He's doing real things and like things would be wrong and like his wife is pregnant and all this stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, man, um, you know, I, I did everything I wanted to do today and I just feel not great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not happy right now. <laughs> I uh, I've told everybody I'm like, oh, yeah, as soon as I'm done with my school, I'm getting out of this warehouse. I've worked there for 10 years and, and I was like, well. I'm either going to stay here till I die or mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to do something else. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go do podcasts for a living. And <laughs> I have friends at work who are like, no, don't, don't just quit the first yeah. job that comes along. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, what? That's, a rough, that's a rough thing to do, man. Yeah. That's what like to do like warehouse work. That's, that's that why thing. I want to leave. Like, yeah, I even like am, I have a position where I get like a good amount of office time where I'm not necessarily on the floor myself, but I am still required to go on the floor to do my job. Mm. And it's just like, I really hate standing on concrete floors for 12 hours. This is, this is awful. I actually, I, I hope you guys, I don't know if you're using all this. I hope you do. Cause I, there's a thing I want to say. I think your podcast I do is brilliant. Like I absolutely oh. love it. Like I, I think it's a brilliant idea and I, and uh, it's a, it's so exciting to be on it, but I know I know what you're saying about the whole warehousing because I've I've worked manual labors my entire life. Like mm-hmm. my dad owns a body shop. Like we started working for him when we were like fucking twelve. Like just sweeping <laughs> shit up. Like I can't tell you how many times I've had paper cuts in my hands just cutting up boxes, just doing like just sweeping up, doing all that stuff. I also worked as a bartender throughout my entire high school. I've always looked thirty, so like my entire <laughs> in high school I was bartending. You know what I mean? So it's like. I know that barista bartender life as well. And it's like, there's something to say about just sitting with a dream. Yeah. And just being like, man, I know exactly what I want to do in my life because of how much this sucks. <laughs> it's like, and it's great. Like uh, the job is a job is a job. Like right. you're never better than the job you have right now. You should, you're lucky that you have a job, but like the best thing about living in America is the fact that like, it's not a communist state and you can like, make your own choices and go do things that you want to do. Like that's the best part about it. 
And it's amazing that like, you know, I grew, again, like I said, like my brother works as a financial advisor. My dad is a start his own business. And in a weird way, like watching him start his own business and do his own thing kind of gave me the inspiration to be like, oh, do your own thing, dude. Like, yeah, just do your own thing. Like, I, I went to school. I was never good at school. I was always just dreaming about art. I was always just dreaming about music. It was just just like, you know, growing up like we weren't we were we kind of grew up pretty poor truly and but we always had music like that was the one thing and it wasn't the beatles which is kind of funny we didn't grow up with the beatles i don't i didn't know the beatles were (laughs) until high school i didn't but like stevie ray vaughn and pink floyd were like life to my dad (laughs) when stevie ray vaughn died um they actually made like a little like I don't know, mosaic or like whatever, like uh, a shrine to my dad, like at his job because he, he, he was such a huge fan. So like growing up, like I didn't grow up with I want to hold your hand. It was like live at Pompeii was my <laughs> that was like my thing. Like I grew up in this like, <laughs> yeah, like I, I grew up with with wild guitar solos and like just the greatest thing, like the greatest people doing their thing you know what i mean so taking the inspiration from my dad and seeing him do step out of his own career and then like start up another career and then be successful at that i was like oh i can this isn't it's also like with tattoos as well like people look at me and like oh you should you seem like a person that like should have a million tattoos i was like yeah well, well like my dad got his first tattoo at like 12 so yeah it was never like taboo i kind of like right. grew up with that whole thing so like I, I didn't I, I there was no rebellious stage against me again you know with 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 some kind of thing because I just wasn't brought up in that factory yeah I was brought up on like the outskirts or like in the alleyway to the factory <laughs> you know <laughs> you know it's interesting because like our dad's favorite band is Kiss our mom loves Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd so like we were growing up with that kind of like the yeah. classic rock stuff but weirdly enough they are both like oh don't don't get tattoos that's i don't don't know i guess they're southern enough that they're like oh i don't know tattoos those aren't great (laughs) i don't have any but dylan's got a bunch do you really yeah yeah i was i mean i got them i didn't get them like as soon as i turned 18 or anything i like i didn't get my first tattoo till i was like 21 so it was it was definitely not like uh it was definitely just like an interest thing like it was like i'm into this i like the way it looks it wasn't like Oh, my parents are gonna be so upset. I wasn't worried yeah. about it. I was just like, "Hey, I got a tattoo." And like, what? <laughs> but like, that's that's cool. I mean, that, in that way, by itself, it's cool. And it's funny you say. I mean, not I don't want to say cool, but it's like in a way, like that's I, I think the right way of going about it. It's like, yeah, if you love this thing, do it. Like, it's yeah. not. It should never be taboo. Um, yeah. It's really funny you say Kiss because that was my favorite band growing up. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, again, like I. But like Bowie is my idol, David Bowie. I love David Bowie. But I was like a theater nerd. Like I was, and this is all going to go into the topic at hand of 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 the the album I chose. But it's like I love theater. Like I love and like mending the two. Growing up again with like Pink Floyd, Lava Pompeii, like that like conceptual space rocky type thing, and understanding like you know how how music can play not just like a great song but it can be like a bigger thing and then like seeing kiss and seeing like the you know the makeup and the art and all that stuff and like the rock and songs and and this won't 
play for anyone listening, but like you guys might enjoy it. It's like my tongue. <laughs> so everybody would be like, oh, you got a Gene Simmons tongue. And I had no idea what that was about until I like knew and the, they showed me Kiss and it was like the blood. I remember my first concert I ever went to was, um, <laughs> it's kind of funny, it was 1999. And I saw Kid Rock, Run DMC, and Kiss. That was what? my first concert. That's a wild lineup. And my my mom took me to it. <laughs> uh, we saw Kiss on, I guess it was one of the farewell tours. It must have been like 98 mm-hmm. or something like it was one of those late 90s where they were like, this is our last tour. And it's like, really, it was just the last time like Ace was going to. Yeah, that, might have, been, yeah, that like, might have been the uh, the tour that I saw. Like it was like. Uh, whatever leg that we saw them on, uh, I know Ted Nugent played, um, and as someone else played before, it was more like an eighties band, like a, Uh, like a hair band that had Skid Row, Skid Row open. That's right. So like, I, I remember, I don't remember catching Skid Row. I remember seeing. That's not a bad thing. Ted Nugent. We were there for all three. Were we? Yeah. I I just, Skid Row made no impact. I do remember Ted Nugent because he was like. Racist? racist. <laughs> <laughs> like man, you can say whatever you want to say about it. Like, like yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, seeing like, I think I, it was either my first or second concert. Now I think, like, I don't, I just remember being like six or seven, and my mom. Oh no, this is what it was. I'm so sorry. My first concert was okay. It was me and my mom, and it was Run D. It was Kid Rock. Run DMC and Aerosmith. Okay. And then my next concert was Kiss. And I think that may have been like 2000 or whatever it was. But um, again, like my my parents, you should probably know, like um, I'm born in 92. I'm the last kid. They had four. They had three kids in four years. My brother was 88. Uh, and when I was not even two years old, my parents left me left left us with our grandparents and then took their motorcycle to Woodstock 94. <laughs> like that that's the that's the upbringing i'm talking about like, that's my parents yeah so like when you know they the and i talk to them all the time about it cause like, like they're badass people like and i'm like what was it like seeing you know green day in 94 at woodstock and they're like oh it was pretty cool you know we threw mud you know like, we did that all yeah. the like <laughs> mudstock wow it's fucking wild yeah that reminds me too of when uh like our dad liked Danzig a lot and I think our mom liked him a little bit too. And, uh, she said that they saw Danzig with corn and Marilyn Manson opening Whoa. for them. Like in the early nineties too. Wow. It was probably 94, yeah. uh, Danzig corn Manson. That's why. Uh, yeah. That's that was, that line. was 94. And Danzig was doing like a signing. I don't remember where it was. He did the signing, either a record store or a comic shop, maybe. But he, we've told this on the show before, but he said he knew Danzig like comics and our dad's a comic collector. So he was like, this is my chance to talk to him about comic books, I guess. But he, he was signing autographs and Danzig was just looking down, not looking at anybody, just signing every way, you know, and not acknowledging anybody in front of them. And then my dad, he crouched down so that he could get into his eyeline of like where he was writing. Super creepy. <laughs> and he's just like, hey, I know you like comics. What kind of comics do you like? And he's like, 
he started like rattling off like a bunch of like Japanese manga or something. And my dad is not into that at all. And he's like, Oh, okay. And then just stood back up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure Danzig oh. did not like having someone squat down <laughs> to look because he's already short. I was so hoping that was going to be like a, yeah, then they got a beer and they're best friends. And they, <laughs> I was so hoping for that. I love those stories, but it's also a wonderful thing to just be like, yeah, yeah, no, but I don't, I don't care. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah he was like, oh, thanks. Uh, cool. Thanks yeah. for the autograph. Yeah, sign this for me, please. <laughs> thanks what about for this uh, autographed copy of the first Danzig record on vinyl. Yeah. What if, yeah. What about like, uh, what, like Wolverine or something? <laughs> <laughs> probably what probably what my dad wanted to talk about I, I i could just see like i'm a weird like visual like i could just see your dad just like the night before being like do i bring the first spider-man comes like show him how legit i am just sitting there contemplating like how do i get the in because that's that's my brain i'm always like what 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 is the connecting thing that i could just reach out and be like hey you because i'm a huge comic book nerd too so i'm always like Oh, cool, Batman. Let's talk about the most niche thing, or like, yeah. what 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 is the bridging gap that we can become best friends? Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. getting that little connection with someone. It's like you find out what their hobbies into, and you like the same thing. It's like, man, how about that? You know, <laughs> which is a great segue about how we can just talk shit about Morrissey. <laughs> so we pitched <laughs> you the premise of the show originally, and we gave you the year 1984, and mm-hmm. we were like, all right. I, I hope I hope he's picked something we haven't already covered before, which you didn't, and you and you kind of did. You picked something that we haven't covered that album specifically, but we have covered The Smiths recently, uh, and you picked a uh, hat full of hollow. Is that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so. Yeah, I think that's the one. And then I was like, okay, I'm not saying no because. <laughs> It's ultimately your decision on what you want to talk about. But we did talk about Morrissey or the Smith specifically within the last six months. And Dylan and I, obviously, uh, if regular listeners know, we're not necessarily fans <laughs> of yeah. Mr. Morrissey. And if I could just stop you there for one second, it's yeah. a really reassuring thing when the first thing you send back to the response is, eh. you know, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yeah, what? but not, but not that. I mean, <laughs> Maybe something else do better. <laughs> that was like we I'm, have standards. I don't know about you, yeah. but <laughs> well, let me explain why I wanted to choose that record. <laughs> so I'm not the biggest Smith fan at all. I, I'm not. I'm, but I am. Um, I'm like a history lover. Uh, I, I went to college to be a history teacher. Like I, I love, I love the impact that things have as like a tangible source. And I definitely think that like you look at music there, like the Smiths made a huge impact, a huge impact on emo music and, and, and people, you know, like even let's just take Johnny Mars guitar playing. Mm-hmm. Like, again, as someone that grew up listening to, you know, like really, really um, distinctive personal personality, driven guitar playing as in Steve Ray Vaughan and David Gilmore, um, you hear a Johnny Marr riff and you're like, dude, that's John, like, that is a thing. Like that is a, a thing in time that a lot of people emulate. So I was like, well, this would be a really cool idea. I have the year 1984, like that, which again is the coolest thing you guys could have given me because I mean, again, I love that book. And I think that year, I think that year holds so much weight, which in like a cultural zeitgeist, because Mm -hmm. it was like a, it was like a 2012 thing. Remember like the world was in 2012. (laughs) Yeah. Like 1984 
we you know we like we had something back when when George Orwell wrote that we had something to like forecast and be like how, what, are we here are we at this stage mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's kind of like 2001 a space odyssey as well so like 1984 comes and I think a lot of people were like you know were putting that year on the pedestal um, and I think a kind of I think it was it was a, an interesting thing that you know the Smiths came out with that record uh, at that year. But when you look at that year, that was like unreal for music. Not just yeah. not just even arts and culture by itself, but like I was looking, I mean, I kind of have a, a the Wikipedia up because I was like, oh, I might want to look at this. Dude, Metallica, you know, Panama, Purple Rain. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, right. like huge things came out in 1984. And, and then when you even look at the culture, it's like the first Mac was made. You know, Steve Jobs started in 1984 like that. Like there's so much going on. There's so much birth, I feel like. And and then when I reached out to you guys and I thought it was really important to, you know, to kind of do a selfish tie in to the music I write. I write very my band Ivy League, you know, that it's 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 very emo driven and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, cool. I can I can kind of make a bridge, you know, bridge this gap and, and draw in things. Um, about the importance of the Smiths and, and you know, that, like, Midwest emo and, and all this stuff. And then um, when you guys were like, nah, no, um, <laughs> I looked back. I looked back and I was like, okay, well, then what is the record that I can relate to that I don't really know much about? Because, again, like, I didn't know a lot about the Smiths. I wasn't in, mm-hmm. really into them. Um, I'm a huge Joy Division fan, if anything. Uh, I, I That was, like, <laughs> I'm also a huge football fan. Like, I was, sorry. Sorry, soccer fan. I'm a huge soccer fan. Oh, and right. like growing up, everyone was like, "Hey, do you, you know?" Growing up, it was always like Manchester United. That was like the cool thing. David Beckham, all his bullshit. But I was like, you know, fuck that. I'm gonna be a Liverpool fan. Like it just, I was in that <laughs> anarchy, like punk rock. Like this is what's cool. I'm gonna do the other thing. So when people were like, "Oh, you know, the Smiths, it's emo," I was like, "No, dude. Like the real emo thing is the guy convulsing on stage." Like that <laughs> guy that just like, you know, commits suicide, which, which, you know, is never good. But like romanticizing about it when I was younger, mm. you know, like that's real, that's real emo. And so I never got into the Smiths, really didn't care for them at all. Um, I just thought it was an important record. <laughs> um, so then going back into repicking what other record I should choose, I went in with that lens. I was like, well, what's another really important record? And I was like, I hate Prince. I don't, so I'm not doing Purple Rain. <laughs> um, but then I saw Husker do Center Arcade. And uh, it kind of was like, well, that's the next thing. Like, that's number two, no matter what. And then when I reached out to you guys, I was like, how's this? And, and I, the me, it's so funny because like, you'd be juxtaposed the answers of like the Smiths. You're like, eh, no, maybe not. And then I was like, <laughs> Zen Arcade. And you're like, that's a masterpiece. We'd love to do that. I was like, okay, we'll, we'll <laughs> Yeah, that we have covered Husker Du in the past, but it's also been like a year and some change, I want to say, since we've done it. So I was like, it, it was far enough in the past that I was like, if we'd done it like six months ago, I go, well, we did just do this, you know, but mm-hmm. this one was long enough in the past. I felt like we could. Well, I appreciate it because I, de- I, I'm definitely not going to come out of it with like, um, I don't know. I didn't know that. I'm I, sorry. I apologize. But oh, you're fine. I, didn't, I don't even know the the the. Um, like the theme around that episode, but I'm definitely not going to come at it as like a fanboy who's absolutely in love with it because truthfully, 
I wasn't, I don't know if how you guys, I would love to know how you guys feel about the record, what it means to you, because I, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Zoolander. It's going to be a weird analogy, <laughs> but there's a, yeah. Have you? Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a scene where, when um, Hansel is like talking about, you know, it's like the modeling awards and he says something like, you know, yeah, I really respect Sting. I don't know his music, but I respect what he did. And I know that's supposed to come off as a laugh, but I was like, no, that's a brilliant thing. Like, and that's how I feel about Husker Du and this record. It's like, I didn't know them. I don't really care for this music, but, and I'm sorry if that offends, like if people get upset with that, but like you, I, there's so much that that record did down the line for people and for music and for mu- American music and for Midwestern music and for alternative bands and for like, going back and looking at it like i respect it so much that like no matter what it's like yeah it's great it's a master like it, it no matter what it, it's solid it's solidified in music history because of what came after it so you actually took almost the spirit of our original shows approach like the, the way that we originally selected albums for the show's approach okay. of you chose something based on importance not necessarily something you're a fan of. Whereas when we started the show, it was more like randomly selected stuff. But and when it's just me and Dylan, we tend to pick albums that we go, that's important. We should probably talk about that. So yeah. that's, that's interesting, Dylan. Yeah, it's it's interesting to have, we don't often have guests that are like, oh, I want to tackle with something that I'm unfamiliar with. More often than not, people want to come on the show and be like, this is a record I love and this is what I can talk about. And I think both perspectives, like, I think generally when we started giving our guests the option to be able to talk about a record they already love, the show got better. Um, <laughs> but for Sorry. the kind for the kinds of people who want to listen to something that they're unfamiliar with and talk about it, or even something that they don't even really like and want to talk about it and have something to say about it, I think those can be really interesting conversations too. So I'm I'm curious to see what your takeaways are on this record. Yeah, I mean, if you if you would have given me eighty five and I got to choose Let's Dance, I would have I would have sat. I mean, it would have been an eight part series, and I would have broke <laughs> down every single thing about why that record is a perfect record and and was done. Like I, so I started saying I went to school for history to be a history teacher, but I love research and I love going back and stuff like that. And we briefly talked about that, and I also work in documentary filmmaking, so. I took this as an approach to do kind of like a research paper or like if I were to try to find the documentary part of it. So documentary filmmaking or a research paper is is finding an answer or, 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 or resolving to an answer or finishing at an answer through the point of view of a of a non narrator that ha- that's like based in the questions. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of how I look at like, well, if there's a subject right we have a subject we want to get to the answer of why a subject did something within with the narrator's point of view of not knowing right so it's kind of like an audience view and that's how i kind of felt with this record was okay so i know that like people love this and i'm a huge nirvana fan like huge nirvana fan so i knew of husker do from you know interviews watching dave Grohl talk about it so I went back and I was like, and I was listening and there were, there were points when I listened to the record and they were like little snippets. And like, I almost wanted to write down like, you know, second song at this mark, this part, 
got me. But then I, I didn't want to do that because I felt like it would be too technical. But there were there were some parts where, you know, I think, even, you know, the second song or whatever, they would like they kind of break down to like three notes. And it was like they play a thing and you, you just sit there and you're like, oh, like that caught me. And I was like, man, I wonder if they could just like you heard like like totally Nirvana would do this or like a post hardcore band would do this riff. A, this is totally a Jimmy Eat World riff. Mm hmm. And then even like, you know, never talking to you again is like, dude, Dave Grohl ripped that vocal melody off so many times. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's so many things that I think this record has where you're like, oh, my gosh, I totally know why this band did that thing or that that melody or that like it. And it's hidden you know, these like little inspirations that these bands probably took from it are hidden within these songs. And it's funny because I, I sit there and I'm like, man, you know, so many projects, bands, albums are so overcooked. And this is just seems to me to be such an underbaked record. <laughs> then you look it up and you're like, well, you know, they did it within 40 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for $3,200 and the engineer producer was like a house guy. I mean, could you imagine, and, or this is my approach to it. Could you, could I imagine, or if I did imagine what this band and record could have been, if someone just gave a little more shit about it, <laughs> like if they just didn't do like one take, that's good enough. Let's just move on. Like there are some parts and you listen to it and you're just like, Man, I know that this is brilliant, but I just don't. It's just not enjoyable to listen to. <laughs> I don't know if you guys. I would love to kick it to you. I don't know. You know, sure. I don't know. The first time you guys heard it, like, what what did you think, or what is the importance to you? Let me run down. I like to call them stats real quick on Please. the album first, so everyone can kind of know what's going on. So we're talking about Husker Du, Zen Arcade. from St. Paul, Minnesota, formed in 1979. They released their debut full-length, Everything Falls Apart, in 1983, which we covered with our good buddy John Russell in the band Knowing. And then they released that album on Reflex Records. That gained the attention of the Minutemen, who released their next 7-inch on their own label, New Alliance, which then also brought them to SST Records and to the record we're talking about today. So released July 1st, 1984, on SST Records. This is their second full-length album and is a double album. I can't wait to get your feedback on that, too. Uh, <laughs> the personnel is Grant Hart on drums and vocals, Bob Mould on guitar and vocals, and Greg Norton on bass. And the album was produced by the band, as well as Spot, who was the SST house producer. And a uh, couple of things. It's a concept record, kind of. We could talk about that, too. <laughs> Des Kadena of Black Flag provides guest vocals on what's going on. And you're right. They recorded the album in one take in 40 hours, basically. 
and then mixed it in another 40 hours. So all in all, it took 85 hours to record and mix this record. Cost them $3,200 and was critically praised. So, um, Dylan, you're you're the Husker, you're Husker Dylan. So uh, give us, uh, we've talked about Husker Do in the past before. So talk about, Dylan, your first interactions with Zen Arcade. I... I don't know the the full details. I know that the first time I listened to like I can't pinpoint the year exactly or you know like it wasn't like a a night like tonight kind of situation, but I do <laughs> remember being a teenager. Uh I want to say we were stealing wireless from our neighbor. Mhm. Um and I downloaded this record or maybe you had downloaded it um from a blog spot and it was basically presented as this is a masterpiece this is an you know a super important record in punk history one of the most important hardcore records of the 80s uh of even really of all time depending on who you ask so there was definitely a lot of like legacy attached to it a lot of importance attached to it when i listened to it and there was definitely a kind of a candle being lit in my head so to speak of I am going to listen to Zen Arcade. I am going to listen to this monumental, important hardcore record. And I want to say the first, the very first song, something I learned today, that opening bass line, drum intro, and then the ugliest guitar tone you've ever heard comes in. (laughs) It was just sealed in that moment. It was sealed in like the first 30 seconds of this record of being like, I love this. I am Mm -hmm. all in on this. I'm going to sit here and listen to this whole thing. And I'm I'm sure that there are just points in listening to it that first time where I was like, what are they doing? There's what, what is this instrumental track? This backwards masking. Uh, I want candy. Hari Krishna. <laughs> yeah. Up. You know, like, yeah, this is weird. I don't know if I even like all of this, but I, I am fully bought into it and I will understand it uh, someday, I guess. <laughs> and then and then like I this is one of those records where and I've done this with a few other artists where um like this was the only thing I had for quite a while. It was like and maybe shortly around this time period I heard something else, but it was just like I'm going to listen to Zen Arcade when I want to listen to Husker Du. I'm not going to explore anything else in their discography. I know that they had like, you know, sort of a radio single and they got signed to a label and so I was like kind of aware of that stuff, but I didn't really like actually start to explore their discography until I was in college. So it was probably like a year or two of just like nothing but this record. And it, and it's such a I mean, it is it's kind of such a monstrous, double, huge, wild record of experimentation that it really takes like a year to understand it <laughs> and that's, absorb it. That's what I was going to ask, uh, John. So you picked a record. You're like, OK, that's important. Let's talk about that. How did you feel when you saw that it was an hour and 10 minute album? Oh, give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> uh, that's 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 fine. Like I'm um, and that's what you're saying, like that, that like instrumental thing. I knew that like, um, yeah, it, the, the time the time didn't bother me. Um, I also play post rock music like I, my pedal board's like two feet long. So yeah. like I, I, I'm I get lost in music. And it's funny you said because that was like. When I was saying I, was, I, I didn't enjoy it as when I was trying to critique it, I enjoyed it just listening to it, yeah. Um, in a way, so I'd like it, the the fact that it was just kept going, 
I thought it never got stale. It never was like, oh, yeah, when is this over? You know what I mean? It was very much just being like, you, there was a lot of dynamic. When the, <laughs> again, as a bass player, you know, that, that first bass riff too, like definitely got me in. I, I think, I, I forget his name, forgive me. I'm going to, um, but uh, what's his name? The bass player has been, um, this is how bad I am. I know it's not, uh, the bass, but whatever. The bass was great. Greg, uh, Greg great. Norton. Greg Norton was great. I, I, I loved his bass. Actually, funny enough to tie this back and remind me there's like a lot of like i was like oh, it sounds kind of like kiss you know there's a lot of like <laughs> doom, doom, like there's a lot of like kind of galloping like holding it down and um it, it sounded cool it sounded great i there wasn't a song that i was like this song is dog you know what i mean or there wasn't a song that i loved more than anything um the time frame was just the time frame and and i thoroughly enjoyed listening to the entire thing um there was one point though at the very you know that very last end outro i was like wait we i was like because the songs are some songs are really short, and there's so many songs on the record. Yeah. You're like, wait, is this for the next 20 minutes? Is this just the one song? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just it, the the album ends on a 14 minute uh, instrumental jam. I guess is how you would describe that. Of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that's the one thing where I was like, okay, we could change it up. We could change it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um. But yeah. Sorry, I know it's a long way to answer for just they had the timing, but um. Uh, I, you know, I didn't have that moment that you had, uh, Dylan, when you were sitting there, you know, in high school and listening. But like, I've had plenty of moments like that, so I can understand what that was like. But yeah, so I mean, Justin, when when you first heard it, or when did you know anything, or did you know, were you? I know this is not their first record. Did you know what their right. first record was? Did you were you brought into this differently? No, my approach was also through this record as well. I, I could have been the one to download it, like Dylan mentioned, or he downloaded it. And I think we both started from Zen Arcade being our first true introduction because it's the one you read about. It's like mm-hmm. if if you were looking at magazines or books about music, anytime this band ever came up, Zen Arcade was usually the first thing that was talked about. So um, I remember listening to it then and being like, this is a classic record by a classic band and I like it. But for some reason, Dylan and I do this thing when we were younger. We did do this thing where we have his bands and my bands. We have very similar taste in music. Actually, probably identical taste in music to a degree <laughs> until we like moved away and like you know grew up and all that shit. But like there were always these instances where like Dylan had a band that he liked and I had my equivalent that I liked. Like it was a similar thing. So Dylan latched on to Husker Du and I latched on to the Minutemen. I mean, they very much are the like the opposite side of the same coin, you know, like they both have double albums that are the same year Minutemen made theirs because Husker Du made theirs. But they have short songs. They have really unique sounding like they just do a lot of things and approach a lot of things in similar ways, but are completely different sounding bands. So I drifted off into like focusing on the Minutemen's discography and learning all of that. So it took me a while to come back and really dig into the Husker Du discography and like really be like, this is awesome. This record's great. I love all this stuff. So for me, Zen Arcade isn't as important as it is to Dylan. But overall, it is one of those things where I'm like, yeah, legendary band for a very specific reason. And if they didn't put anything else out, this record would still be the thing to talk about about them. Yeah, it's one of those, like you know, bringing it back into it where... If, yeah, I really wonder if this band didn't do this, 
you know, if this band didn't, they, they, what I read and what I researched about it was like, this was the birth of college radio was like this band's influence on culture. If you want to say, or, 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 you know, this, they made what 3,500 copies of the record Mm -hmm. and they sold out completely. And they really like to this day, never made more. And, um, it was like this college thing where people wanted to hear more. So like these small colleges kept playing it and things like that. And, you know, if we didn't have college radio kicking off at that point, then you wouldn't have you know bands like Nirvana or things like that to come out to. I mean, everyone knows it's like as a band growing up in the nineties or whatever, like still to this day, like getting on college radio or to do like local, like indie radio stuff to get played, to get all that stuff kind of started with these guys from this record in particular. Um, so, I mean, that's huge. And I definitely think that like, I definitely think you can like make a correlation between if you didn't have this band do this thing, then you wouldn't have, you know, bands like Emotion City Soundtrack that are from the same place, you know, or you wouldn't have like, they, they even think Captain Jazz, you guys know Captain Jazz, like, yeah. Yeah. like Captain Jazz, like made, made this, these, these songs and records that like kicked off Midwest emo in a weird way, like it, these, these, I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of just being like, you know, this is this is in a weird way on a on a less I don't want to say less grand scale, but like, you know, this record, whether you like punk like me, I'm not a huge hardcore punk guy, um, but like you respect it. You know, like, yeah, you give it its due when you talk about it and you should understand what it did. And I think that that is like when I again, listening to it, um, I, I've never really listened to anything else by Husker do. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, I actually. Um, I saw the Foo Fighters when they did like their Wasting Light tour in New Jersey and Bob Mould came out. So I actually got to see Bob Mould do Rosemary with the Foo Fighters at the Prudential Center in New Jersey. And so like as as like shallow, I don't know, it's not shallow, but as like as like, you know, my unpunk this is like kind of new Bob Mool is from that song. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't, I didn't know who he was. I, I know it's just not the music I listened to, but I loved going back and listening to it because I definitely respected more. I definitely, and like, I loved knowing like where some of the bands that I love and, and again, the whole concept record thing. So if you want to go into that, like, you know, again, yeah. So I don't know if you want to talk. I mean, I feel like I'm talking a lot here, so I apologize, but like, the fact that it, it's a concert concept record just kind of adds to the lore of this record. Yeah. So the description of the concept is about a young boy who runs away from home and finds out that uh, life in the outside world is worse than what he had back home. Um, Dylan, you could speak to this probably more than I do. Does the concept hold up past the first couple tracks? Because personally, I, I, it doesn't feel like a concept record to me at all. It's it's a concept record in maybe spirit or thematics or <laughs> arranging. It's a concept of a concept record. <laughs> right, <laughs> for sure. It, it definitely, the concept record idea definitely comes across as kind of like, it was maybe a little bit of a half-baked thing, or it was maybe like kind of like a, it was maybe more aspirational than it was guiding every um creative decision in the songwriting process i i very very much feel like there are songs on here that they just had they just they were songs that they had in the bank and they're like eh, i guess this kind of fits you know and i mean there's certainly like 
you know, the something I learned today, broken home, broken heart, you have kind of like charter trips. Okay. That definitely ties into never talking to you again, even like you, you can get a lot of the whole, like someone leaving, uh, someone having a hard home life. Then there's maybe like, you kind of have to get a little bit more like back away with the concept to kind of make some of the things that work like mas- masochism world or like biggest lie is definitely one where it's like someone growing kind of growing up and being more experienced in the world and being able to like see that people are like telling lies to themselves you know like convincing themselves that they are happy or whatever it might be the concept gets more abstract as the record runs which maybe is intentional um in the sequencing i'm not totally sure i think they maybe kind of lost the plot at a certain point or they just were like i don't want to rewrite these songs we're just going to record them like i'm not going to rewrite these songs to make them fit we're just going to take pride because we have it you know we're just going to throw these songs in here we're going to throw some instrumental stuff in here that's kind of like maybe more evocative of what they were trying to say but it's the concept part of it has never really meant anything to me it's not like a Coheed and Cambria record where like there's like a straight story yeah. from album one to album 10 or whatever they're at now. And even and then, it, I love Coheed and I don't care about that concept either. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and I think to my point of it, the concept being aspirational more than it was like executed as a concept is maybe that maybe it's more philosophical or maybe it's more of a we want to make a a Tommy style double album kind of thing. Like we're inspired by these bands who did these big grandiose records. And we want to do something that's like that. I think that's, that's more of the concept than the actual like stated storyline of the record, because it just, it just doesn't follow through plot wise. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of funny that you yeah, you guys do that way because it's like opposite. Like, when I found that it was a concept record, I was like, oh my god, I love this. My thing. Uh, shameless plug here for two seconds. So it's like we kind of, I, I, we, I, how we got in contact was I have a single coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, we, well, I, I, my band Ivy League has one single out right now, and uh, um, our next single is coming out on the fifth of March. And um, the, <laughs> the entire thing is a concept. Like the entire mm. band, like <laughs> the entire thing is a concept. Um, the story of the EP, the band name fits actually into the story of the EP. And the next record that is actually kind of being written or almost done is a part is the second part of the story. And there's another record. Like I have literally written in a coheed way. Yeah. yeah. Written out the concept of the record. So for me, like I get excited. Like again, Bowie, the whole thing, like like uh, Tommy was was huge growing up. Um, so like I almost got introduced to music through that like cinematic viewpoint. Um, and actually, it's kind of funny because I, I almost can see like the correlation between American Idiot and 
and this record as well. I don't know, it's a, it might be a long poll, but like, you know, American Idiot, I don't know if you guys saw like the, I don't know, you probably never saw the Broadway play. I, I saw the Broadway play and it's about like these these kids that like grow up, go out into the real world and then, spoiler alert, they all kind of come back mm. together. And that's like, I think that's the concept of American Idiot. So it's funny, even just for that thing, like taking Green Day is like arguably the biggest record is in a weird way, like kind of ripped off from this, you know? And I don't, and I don't think that they would say that they're not Husker Du fans. So I th- they probably were very massively influenced too. Like, I think Billy Joe is definitely, he's one of those musicians that knows the history of punk and hardcore. So he definitely was probably a Husker Du fan. And mm-hmm. they probably were thinkings in arcade when they wrote American Idiot, you know? I think so. I mean, and I think for a really long time, Zen Arcade was kind of the only record that you could call a punk rock opera. Because, uh, you know, Minutemen put out Double Nickels on the Dime the same not a concept year. at all. <laughs> it's not. The, con- the concept of that record is I get a side, you get a side, you get a side, yeah. and here's the shit nobody picked. Uh, on the last the concept side. was also who's Gurdu's doing a double album okay we've already finished an entire record but now let's record another entire it, LP's worth of material yeah. it's like the, the Beach Boys Beatles thing it's yeah like, oh, they did that thing they have all these harpsichords okay shit now we gotta do it <laughs> I mean is there another you know it, it, but even to this day is there another I'm kind of ignorant in this way another punk rock opera is there another band that was you know whether it was and that's why i kind of say it was like under big because i i kind of lost the concept too that's what that was my whole approach to that 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 point of view or that argument uh, where i was like man imagine someone gave a shit about it because it feels like it feels like Husker du could have seen this this opportunity or this thing in front of them and they went to go like grab it and they just kind of like nicked it you know what i mean like they just kind of touched it it, it seems under big it seems like they the, like someone they needed to just sometimes you you watch a movie or something and you're like man that really needed another editor or that needed someone else to just kind of be like here's some bowling alley bumpers to kind of get you to where <laughs> you need to go i mean i think in the case of husker du there was there was maybe too many cooks. Um, mm. I mean, kind of the the band's legacy is the the band dynamic of so long, so much of their history is Bob and Grant both being really the songwriters, both wanting to write their own kinds of songs. And I'm sure you can. It's definitely very evident on this record. And I think this is the first record where it becomes super evident that there's hu- a huge difference in their songwriting styles. And there's certainly overlap and there's songs where they clearly collaborated more or where like one of them wrote something that the other really had something to contribute to it. But there are these moments that are like Bob is all hardcore and Grant is all like jangly, sad songs or really arty and weird. And Bob's version of arty and weird is just playing the same riff for 14 minutes. Mm hmm. Just a being um, abrasive in general. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of those um, guitar solos were just like, oh, you just threw it to the wind. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's here's the gas pedal and we're going. That's that's totally Bob's solo style. And he's self-deprecating about it now to being like, I'm not a great guitar player. I just I literally just play as many notes as I possibly can. <laughs> not even well, like poorly timed, just like 
trying to play notes that I can't fit. Um, but there's definitely there's a there's a push and pull to Husker Du that makes incredible magic happen. And then there's obviously like moments where they can't work together. And I mean, eventually that, you know, as the band gets bigger and they get worse uh, in their drug problems and having issues with like management and labels and things like that, that just exacerbates it. But from the beginning, I think there's pretty much like a budding heads kind of creative approach that probably is where the plot gets lost. Uh, It's very possible that they just were like, couldn't agree on how to make it work as a cohesive concept record. And then we're just like kind of backed into the corner of like, well, we don't really have time to record this the way that it probably should be. We're going to do this as fast as possible with the one guy who barely knows how to do what, you know, he can put mics in front of amps and, and can maybe operate the board to some extent. And they, you know, they, they did mix it separately. So I'm sure Bob was a little bit more involved with the mixing part of it. Cause he's always been a little bit more, uh, the tech guy in the band, but, but yeah, it, it was definitely a, a too big of an idea and they probably couldn't agree on how to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, I feel as soon as like, wait, it's almost, I almost sat there and was like, wow, man, um, I wish you just chose one or the other. Like, I wish you kind of just either did a full fledged out, you know, idea and concept and, and, and sat there and thought about it and made songs that fit into this narrative, or you just did a punk record. Like, I don't know. I don't know if you could separate that, but I feel like there's elements of both those things in the record. And I kind of wish you could like there. This was like if you were to break Zenarcade up into like, well, there's this record they did. And then there's this other record that they did. And I feel like you you have this 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 driving force on two opposite sides combating each other within this record. But, you know, again, like. It, it's not unenjoyable to listen to. Like it's, I mean, throughout the entire thing, it's almost kind of like it's like it's a weird analogy, but it's like it's like drinking in a weird way. My my my, it's like drinking shots. You know what I mean? It's like you don't. I didn't enjoy it when it was kind of happening, but then like after a while, you're like, oh, I'm kind of buzzed, and this is great. Like shots <laughs> taste terrible, but like it's just like I I I'm now drunk, and the record's now over, and it's like you know what I mean? Like it's a weird weird analogy but in a weird way like that was kind of every song was like another shot and then you kind of get to a point where you kind of get it at the end um it's funny because i in my i had this brilliant idea i think it's brilliant idea of uh i don't know if you guys ever hear of like the criterion collection mm. these where they'll like take like you know a movie from like japan in 1937 or whatever and then they'll find like one reel that is like the entire movie and they're like 4k up res and like to, i would love to do that with some records and i know mm-hmm. that's kind of blasphemous to some people but like this is one of those records where i would really not like remaster it but like really like take the reel the recording and be like man can we like reamp this or do something where like things sit better like you know you can get lost with like the remastering remixing thing but like Instead of just make like, oh, here's the 30th anniversary or, or, or the 40th ne- next year. You know, for the yeah. next year will be the 40th anniversary of this record, which is fucking wild to say. But like, to even think about that, like this was this was done 40 years ago. Is I think, wild. I think the fact that 
there hasn't been any significant remaster of this record probably means there never will be mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, largely because I imagine it was recorded the way that a lot of SST stuff was recorded, which was very cheaply, and mm. there probably simply are no master reels that exist anymore. Yeah, there's definitely, they did, SST did everything on the cheap, like that was definitely their approach, and one of Minutemen's like big thing, the Weejam Meccano, was like reusing tape, too. Mm. So I, you know, there's always a possibility that SST just reused the tape, and it yeah. You know, once they had their whatever they needed, dats or whatever, you know, their masters. Yeah. I'm sure there is a like master mix down somewhere that is just like lossless and archived and like. But I'm sure that you can't get in there and like break the stems up and like actually mm-hmm. actually do a like a proper remix or remaster. You could remaster. That would be that would be the extent of it. And then it's really just like you're pumping the whole thing through a pull tech. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, that's it's not going to do a whole lot, you know, it's I know it's just it's it's one of those things. I was like, man, this would I don't know. I just it's it's a it's a common it is a common conversation, a frequent conversation in the discussing the the Husker Du discography um, where people, you know, I've seen people say, imagine if Husker Du was ever, ever recorded properly. (laughs) Um, And I think. I think there's evidence of what that would sound like when you look at what Bob did later, because his guitar tone is has been very much the same ever since. So you can see like and people make that probably make that comparison to Sugar and his his solo stuff and be like, this stuff sounds incredible. Like, imagine if those those Husker Du classic Husker Du records sounded like that. My my minor pushback to that would be that it's kind of how rough it sounds is kind of part of it uh it's definitely you it's kind of like this is my guided by voices kind of like yeah it sounds terrible but it's so cool or, you know <laughs> it's like uh any anyone who's like super into any like specifically lo-fi artists i feel like that you kind of have that like the shittiness of how it sounds is like it or not is kind of part of it could be better and like like you're saying don't pay attention to the taste of the shot <laughs> as you're taking it just just kind of feel the buzz um it, it's the romantic the romanticize romantic yeah you're romanticizing about it like yeah. it's like that whole thing of being like you know the the it's almost like when you look at like you know growing up looking at new york city like the grit of new york city was part of why i loved it like yeah. the fact that it's dirty you know what i mean like it's it's that idea of being like no, no like it, yeah it's not the best place to live and you know people are kind of nasty but that's that's part of it like that is part of it I totally understand and I'm not trying to say like I'm not trying to shit talk it or say like you know it's 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 just it's just funny because I feel like I feel like if like there should be a next record like this is the this is the the I don't want to say like Pablo Honey. Uh, and then you get like, and then you get something, you know, and I just feel like this record is like, wow, they did that record. And then like the grand opus would be like the next record that that Husker do did. I, I just feel like that you there should be another record after it that was better. But they just I, it's weird to think that this is that band's legendary thing that they've done. You know? I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
it is the like the legendary record because personally I do prefer the other the later stuff a little more than this album. Maybe it's the like you said, it's the romanticized version of the the story. Recorded it and mixed it in eighty four hours for three thousand dollars. You know, the they they did something so grand on their second album because their first album is like. 15 to 19 minutes long and it's just hardcore straight hardcore punk yeah and then but then they followed it up with new day rising which is starts off with one of their most hardcore punk songs period the title track and then they signed to a major well even before that they do flip your wig which was like their step into the they did this weird like back and forth like they would step forward and then step back because new day rising is a little bit step back as far as like loudness but also there's a lot of melody there too and Flip Your Wig goes even further in like the more pop direction, pop sensibilities, and then they get a major deal, you know. Yeah, there's just no, there's no okay computer mm-hmm. with this band, and that's what I was kind of like, like I kind of sat back and I was like, well, it's funny that this record, their second record, like that's like, you know, I just you 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 normally see a progression with bands that you know, yeah, ne- never mind was the biggest thing that nirvana ever did but when you look at in utero like in utero is amazing i think it you know people romanticize about um nevermind because of smells like teen spirit like what it did for modern pop music but then like nirvana i think really found their sound and their style with in utero yeah and it's a really really criminally underrated record like some people that that's to me, like that's my favorite. Like I love it in utero. I, I listen to in utero more than I listen to anything else from Nirvana. It's almost like even like bands like Taking Back Sunday. Yeah, like you know, cute, cut from the team, whatever. Like that's their biggest song. But then like, but then you have Ladder now. That's like that's like the progression. So I was waiting to be like, oh, this is like their biggest thing that like or like their most like this was the record that got Husker Du to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I, it's so interesting to be like, well, oh, there's there's really not a next thing that people are harping on. Yeah, it kind of just falls off after this. It, yeah, it becomes, it becomes a fan band. Really. Yeah, like at, at least at this point, you know, they 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 certainly had more commercial success with with the records as they proceeded through through the 80s. But in terms of like the retroactive, like the critical lens and like the cultural impact they didn't ever have a record that did anything close to what ZNRK did you know culturally i I definitely i I actually thought that i was like oh they broke up after this like this was like that's why people (laughs) love this so much was because this was like oh man like we got this cool thing and then we're done now and that's what people like oh we only have you know two records so like that last record is the thing that we're going to love the most but it's just an interesting way of looking at it and just trying to think like what Again, like I, I, I actually think like uh, I don't know if you guys like or know built the spill, but like I got a lot of built the spill. Like you know, I feel like they could have found or like even like Sonic Youth. Like it's funny how certain bands get like a cult following. Like I don't, I don't really think that Who's Purdue gets this like cult following. It's still in the underground. You know what I mean? It, which is still, it's just all, which is again researching it and going back and listening to how people talk about it. There are some people that absolutely love it, but there's also a lot of people like me that are just like, no, you you respect it for what it did 
or what it what the door that it opened up for other bands. It's not like you talk to someone that loves Dinosaur Junior or something like that, and they're like obsessed with it, and like they see every show or something. I don't know. I don't know if I'm making any sense or if I'm just pontificating at this point, but it's just something that that I that like came to my mind when I was kind of sitting with it and thinking about it because I really did do a lot of research and I was trying to listen to a lot of people do interviews and talk about it and I listened to a couple podcasts people talking about it and where this record falls or where this band falls as a something with um or like a summed up thing with with the audience and 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 who loves it and who doesn't and what it means to them and that's why I was so interested in talking to you guys because your reaction was like oh it's a masterpiece I was like this is it then I want to sit here and talk to you about you know, it's not that I don't like it. It's just like, tell me what you love about it. So it's, a, you know, I can understand your perspective and point of view on it. I think a lot of what Husker Du, a lot of what Husker Du means to me is kind of what, you, you know, kind of what we talked about in terms of like the romanticizing of like the warts and all, you know, the, you know, the ugly underside of it. Because, you know, I mentioned how like I spent more or less like a year and some change on just this record. And I would kind of come back to it from time to time. Just like, I really enjoy this. this there's something about this that is like really attractive to me that pulls me in and I can't fully quantify what exactly it is. When I made kind of the cognitive decision to be like, I'm into Husker Du, I want to explore the rest of their discography. Um, I had to really lean into that willful romanticizing of their sound and their records and their whole like ethos and like the way that they try to express themselves through extreme limitations, uh, whether in time or budget or fidelity or mental health, <laughs> whatever it might be. Willingness. <laughs> yeah. There's just so much, there's so many limitations that hit them throughout their career. Some of them intentional and some of them not, but like I I made the choice to go back to like I think the next two things I did was their first record, which sounds extremely raw, and then a live record, uh land speed record, which sounds almost unlistenable. <laughs> and those were like the next two things. I'm like, this really raw, kind of not great songs, but still enjoyable hardcore record, and then this horrible sounding, like not even like not even like a tape out from the mixer. Like it sounds like a recorder in the room, like mm. with an extremely loud band in a PA, just really, really bad recording. And I'm like, st- was then still interested to keep going. I'm like, all right, well, let's see the next thing. And it, it, and it was, it was definitely just like with each record, it's kind of like, they don't really get much better sounding. Mm-hmm. So it's more about the ideas and the passion um, and I think that's a big, big, big part of it, too, is like when Bob screams, he screams like he destroys his voice like it is the most. I don't know how he still makes sound with his vocal cords. But and he's got a really interesting voice now. Like even with solo, I listen to him solo. Stuff, yeah. Like, he's got a really cool voice. Like it's funny because you would never think that like that's the dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's things like that. Because he has like a really smooth voice now, too. Yeah. You think it would be just like, it's like ripped a to shreds. <laughs> I mean, there's <laughs> just... I guess there's a point where you have so many nodules that it's just level <laughs> surface again. <laughs> but and then like Grant, you know, uh, I, I definitely mentioned Bob a lot. And I think it's maybe because I'm a guitar player and I've I've borrowed so many tricks from Bob's guitar playing. Like it's one of the most foundational 
guitar styles in terms of how I play guitar. Um, but when I listen to Husker Du, the best songs are Grant's songs. <laughs> like his yeah. melodies, instantly memorable. Like you said, you know how many, <laughs> uh, how many times have Foo Fighters Dave, has Dave Grohl, you know, taken yeah Grant Hart melodies. Like they're they're just they get stuck in there. I'm sure they're somewhat in, accidental um, because they're so indelible melodies and then you then on top of that you factor the way that he plays the drums i can't wrap my head around Mm. i mean it's it's the fastest four on the floor almost constantly blasting like cymbals and snare and it's and then singing also yeah (laughs) it's i don't know it's kind of one of those things that you can talk about and marvel at a lot of the things that were done on the record um, and I also think the fact that it, it was, yeah, like there, there's a, okay. In my, in my approach to why this record was so important is that, that there's a couple of factors. It's like, there's a lore to the record. Like mm-hmm. we talked about the 48 hour thing, the yeah. SST thing, the, the, all that whatnot. Um, it's like, there's a, there's this lore around it. The fact that it actually was, you know, done the, with the, 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 the concept of what they were trying to do when it was done also adds to that. You can like marvel at these things that like, yeah, like again, you might not love it. It might be like you're saying some like, like that ugliest guitar tone of all time. <laughs> it almost sounds like at some points it was just like, Oh, this is up. Oh, what is like, did someone, it almost sounds like someone recorded a guitar and put it on the song. Like, <laughs> Like someone else recorded it like 20 years later with their iPhone or something and just like put it onto the record. You're like, where is this doesn't fit in the mix at all. Like it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, here's guitar. Blah, and you're like, well, this isn't part of the, the my listening to the, like, it's very odd. Is this a YouTube play along? What's exactly happening? <laughs> we do a cover of this. Like it's like it, it it's so, uh, and that's where I'm getting the idea of like, man, I really wish someone, you know, it's like what what could have this have been like what nevermind became if they didn't fall into sub pop and they weren't you know if butch big didn't come back and just be like no i'm gonna do this we're gonna really work this out like imagine what this record would be now if they did get like even like a steve albini or something who who i've read loves this like if someone could just sat there and been like no we're gonna fully flesh these ideas out you know, Grant, Bob, work your shit out. Let's 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 iron this out. Let's rake this out because right now it's just spaghetti. Let's let's rake this out. Let's figure out what we got here. Let's do this. If you want to do this concept, great. If you don't want to do this concept, then let's not do it. Right now we have a half baked idea coming out, and it's just kind of it's gonna it, in a weird way flop out. It's not gonna skyrocket out. It's just gonna go, and it's gonna like a wet noodle come down. <laughs> and that's a really harsh way of talking about this record because you're talking about something that is one of the most important records to come out of American music. And it's like, again, juxtaposing to like that year, like Purple Rain, one of the greatest records that ever come out of American music. Yeah. Also, say whatever, say whatever Husker Du, Minneapolis band, you know. Yeah. Prince, they, there's a connection, Prince and uh, uh, Husker Du. It's like one of these things where it's like it's it's just wild how like you look at 1984, this year that did 
these unbelievable. I mean, even like I think Metallica had a huge record. Panama came out like uh, born in, born in the USA came out. Born in the uh, USA. I mean, I hate Bruce Springsteen, but like <laughs> like one of those. Yeah. Again, being the New York guy, you know, we look at New York. Oh Jersey, yeah. Like a little, it's not even like a little brother. It's like a cousin that you're like, yeah, go away, go away. <laughs> You know, who's who's the New York? Was it Billy Joel? Was that who we're going with oh, for New York? God, dude, don't even, <laughs> I, I hate Billy Joel almost. I'm like the only person from Long Island that hates Billy Joel <laughs> because of that reason. Everyone's like, oh, Long Island, Billy Joel, right? Hey, <laughs> um, I actually saw Billy Joel driving on the on the highway in Long Island once. That's probably the best thing I can say about that. Did band. you slow down and get away from him? <laughs> no, I just looked at him like he like did me wrong. I just gave him the glare and like, how dare you? You are what people think about when they think about my childhood. <laughs> Theodore Roosevelt is from Long Island and they think about you. <laughs> they, I think with the way that this record came out, it's the it's the pure context of. All right, this is from the hardcore scene. Hardcore bands don't do double albums. Hardcore bands don't do concept records. Hardcore bands don't typically in, include as much melody as is on this record. Like mm-hmm. they don't was they don't have long songs. They don't have instrumentals. They don't have pianos. They don't have acoustic songs. I think what happened with it is they were like they were trying to justify. Like we gotta try all these different things because we want to do something more than just put out another hardcore record. Because I didn't even really pull up what else came out in 1984 as far as like hardcore records go. But you know, um, Black Flag uh, did My War. Yeah, yeah My War. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, you know, hardcore in general, I think is trying to experiment because that is a record where they Black Flag really did try to experiment. Um, I think unsuccessfully, but Slip It In is the same year. Too, yeah. with Black Flag. It's always funny when you try and look at like hardcore LPs that came out. This that's not usually where you see the actual like this is what was going on. Yeah. That's when you're looking more at like the singles and the EPs. Um what was DC doing at the time? Um let me pull that up real quick. Well, you know, even just why why pulling that up, uh, it's funny because the more I talk to you guys about it, the more I'm liking the record. <laughs> but only because I'm understanding it more. You know yeah. what I mean? This under- yeah, keep going. No, this record is kind of like I don't like to I don't like to get too much into like the mystical um when people talk about oh, a song just came to them. It's like, well, it came to you because you've had years of experience writing songs. And you <laughs> just kind of know what chords work together. And, you know, like or just people any songwriter that tries to like say that so much of their creative process was like being a conduit for something I do think that what this record does is manifest kind of multiple people's ideas of something really big. And that's probably where a lot of the failure and miscommun is because there's that miscommunication of two people trying to channel things into one record. I say two people because Greg is like famous for just being like showing up, playing his part and, and <laughs> leaving uh, or not even showing up to practice at all once they got, you know, got on a major label but this record to me and it's probably a just a product of hearing it when i did as a teenager and being kind of young and impressionable to me this record does tap into something quasi spiritual or beyond the the musicians themselves kind of in the way that like 
people say that like any important psychedelic record from the 60s is that like I listen to it and I'm like that's a mess. Like <laughs> this record does what people say the birds did and I'm like I like some mm. bird stuff but there's no birds LP that I can listen to from beginning to end and love except for the country one. And that's largely because of someone from outside of the birds came in, joined the band, made them a country band and then left. <laughs> so like th- this is just kind of one of those records that is a rare instance of doing the thing that people have at least for me, have said that a lot of records previously, you know, and even records that maybe specifically influenced this one did, where I'm like, I don't really hear it. And that's just, you know, I guess it's just me being yeah. 17 oh. and hearing this for the first time. So with did you, do you know of bands or records or anything like that that actually inspired this record? Or, you know what I mean? <clears throat> So uh, he talks, Dylan. You know more of the history. He was definitely uh, Bob was definitely into like sunshine pop. I did see some reference specifically, but go ahead, Dylan. I think they've they have talked about the birds as being a common influence. I think generally speaking, they were they were both trying to reference music that was important to them as kids. Um, so definitely a lot of sixties like. Yeah, because listening to it, Southern California, Mamas and the Papas kind of stuff. It's it's funny because I, I don't mean to cut you off, but like listening to it, I asked, um, there are just parts where I'm like, oh, that's again, like I said, like that's like a obviously back in the day, you know, that baseline, the doom 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 doom, like that, like that, like gallop you hear a lot on Iron Maiden, so like that, that was a very, you know, specific bass drive or riff or whatever that a lot of people use. But then there were like parts that just sounded like the band Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? They were like, but there were other parts that sound like that was like, oh, that's a Zeppelin riff. And it's it was interesting to just listen to it and be like to pick things up because I was getting so many influences that sounded like the song, and then getting influences of songs that sounded like cer- certain parts of the the record, like future songs. Like I was saying, like a Jimmy World type five tune. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. Like that that totally sounds like a, you know, like three seconds of this one song sounds like a. A verse from Jimmy World. Did you catch the? Um, this is mainly Grant. Is it Grant's voice that sounds a lot like Paul Stanley from Kiss? Yes. <laughs> it's it's super evident it, on. I think I I believe so. There was a lot of it. I may not have caught exactly the the reference that you're talking about specifically, but there were a lot of things I was like, oh, this again. I just heard references as I heard this record. The song Turn on the News, um, the mm-hmm. last like proper song to me, sounds like a Kiss song. Like that, turn on, turn yeah. on, turn on <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. news. Like he's, he's, he sounds like he's trying to do Paul Stanley impression specifically <laughs> on that song. Yeah, I and mean, that's, that's, that's exactly what I heard. I was, and I was, you're, it's cool. I mean, it definitely is cool. Like it's, it's, again, I just wish there was a way of going back in time and just being like, hey, I know what you want it. <laughs> it's like Marty, where we're going. With it. It's like, hey, Bob, Grant. <laughs> I know where we're going. Where this record will go. You need, you need more time. <laughs> yeah. That is, I will admit that, like, one of the big barriers to me, me taking longer to getting into Husker Du was the production on almost all of their records. It's just like, it. They're a harder band to break through that exterior. That first, you're just like. 
man, why why does it sound so bad? Like the songs are good, but it sounds bad. You know, like that kind of yeah way. No. And that's what I, that's what I was trying to say before. You're just like, I don't hate this, but I don't enjoy this right now. You know, if that's if that sounds weird, did you, you? Some of the songs are just not enjoyable to listen to until it was over, and then you're like, oh, I actually like that. The you can tell this record was designed for uh four sides of LPs because like the very first the A side that's like those are all the most catchy upbeat poppy everything like forward right there is on the a side you go to the b side and it's like a straight hardcore record just on the b side those are like the hardest and loudest songs and then when you get to like side c and d that's when you're starting to experiment a little bit more i think they try and do more melody on c than they did b and then d is just like and we're gonna play 15 minutes of it's so funny you say that. I don't know the sides of the songs on the sides, but like the last, the second two thirds of the record are my favorite. The first third of it, I was like, I can make without this. Again, I'm not, I'm not like a blast beaded punk rock loving, screaming, blah blah blah. Like I, I, which is funny. It's just different opinion, but it's it's funny that you, like that's how you see that how it was broken up, and like mm-hmm. what you see is the four sections of the record where I see it as two thirds. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, the, the second half or like uh, just above the second half of the record is is what I enjoyed more. Maybe it is the fact that there's more melody and like, you know, there's more going on than just um, trying to be loud and abrasive. Nothing wrong with it. Just a different opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I don't it's funny because I was watching one podcast talk about it and they were like, yeah, I don't think I'll ever listen to it again. But it was it's worth one listen. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's <laughs> like a, the popular opinion was like. You should. It's like sometimes when you talk about like certain books or films, you're like, yeah, you know, Charles Dickens, you know, Great Expectations is a a masterpiece in itself. But that dude got paid by the word. (laughs) That's why it's like it's like 700 pages long. You should read it once is enough, though. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like it's like uh, there's some like pieces of art or like, you know, Requiem for a Dream is a fucking nightmare of a film because it'll mess you up but everyone <laughs> needs to watch it once <laughs> it's like husker deuce zen arcade you you know sit there and listen to it or it's funny that you know dylan you say that it's that record that you can oh, forgive me if i'm wrong if i'm wrong stop me but i feel like you could just put that record on and listen to it or like it, it, I, I go through is it are the individual songs on the record in a playlist? Can you listen to it like on random? There are individual songs that definitely work for me on their own, separate from the record. That could be playlist songs. I this is a record, and this is this is not the record that I pull from the most for like casual who's you listening. Um, this is definitely still a record for me that is an event when I listen to it, and mm-hmm. it's. It, it it takes it takes a cognitive like I'm listening to Zen Arcade like it's I I use that the the candle joke I mean it's it's the um, almost famous uh, listen to this record in a dark room with a single candle lit like that's <laughs> that's how I think of this record yeah so when I'm putting this record on I'm lighting a candle and it's it is it is kind of a Zen thing it is kind of a meditative thing like. It's pun pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's and I think that's a big part of what works for me and 
even though it's kind of like messy and not a, not executing its concept well, it's just almost just like I am going to let it exist the way that it is. I'm not going to nitpick it. I'll pay super close attention to certain parts and then I won't pay attention to some parts at all. And I'll listen to it from beginning to end, not always in one sitting, occasionally because make a point of listening to this record. So that can, you know, be split up over two days. But it is when I'm putting it on, it is on and it's very liturgical, I guess. It's you're participating in a moment in time in body without really thinking too much about it. It's sacred, um, which I, I love to hear that this record has that impact on you. There are a couple of bands. It's funny. Um, they're my, my like top three favorite records of all time. Uh, there's a band called Mansions. They're from uh, Louisiana. No, they're from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And they have a they have a record called New Best Friends. And that is like that is like bury me with that when I die. Like that is that record. And then there's a record, um, an EP by a band called Oh Brother, uh, called Death of Day, and they're from Atlanta. And like, like when I go, when I die, I want those records like on my chest, going down in the coffin. And um, the third one, my top three is is um, Untitled by Sigur Ross, and yeah. I want that, I want that to be played at my funeral. Mm-hmm. Like those records to me, like my sister loves which is funny because she's not like a huge music nerd or anything like that, but like she loves mansions and like she'll, we'll be in the car or whatever. And she'll like put it on on. And I'm like, I'll like, like slap it out of her hand or like, I'll like immediately turn off the car, the, the stereo. And I'm like, no, I can't listen to that now. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I can't, I can't listen to that song. I can't listen to that record. Like we're driving. I can't, no, I need to be like, I need to be like, okay, I'm going back to high school in my mind. I'm going back to to being alone. I just got my license, and Long Island obviously is an island, and I'm going to go drive to the to the ocean, and I'm going to go sit at two o'clock in the morning on my hood of my car, and new best friends is going to be playing. <laughs> and like I can't I can't get there right now when I'm driving to Starbucks with my sister on my you know, <laughs> Tuesday. It's not I can't do that. Um, so it's funny. It's really cool to hear your perspective and to hear how, how this record, I don't know if yeah. you're as neurotic and ridiculous as I am, but like, you know, it's cool to know that this is that record or one of those records for you. Yeah. It's, it's definitely not an everyday record. There yeah. are who's screwed records that are everyday records, um, for sure that are much more digestible. This is, this is definitely like a headspace and like, you know, it's not like I have to be like, I'm going to actually literally sit down in a dark room and listen to this record. Like I did the dishes while I was listening to this record yesterday and I sat on the couch and looked at my phone for a little while, but it's definitely like, I know that that place is there when I'm hearing it. And it's not, it's not a place that I want to always be in. So it's not a record that I'm going to listen to all the time or just, you know, absent, you know, absentmindedly or like uh, there, there's a there's an awareness that's happening when I listen to this record specifically. Um, there's yeah, there's there's a few other records that are probably like that. But yeah, that just got like wheels spinning in my head, too. I was just like, man, what are mine? Like, I have records like that, like. To me, Double Nickels on the Dime by Minutemen is that. It's the, mm. like, I'm putting on the record. 
to listen to. You know, sometimes I don't finish the whole thing, but like there's a there's a conscious effort of this is what I'm listening to. Um, another one would be um, Philophobia by Arab Strap. Like it's just this very it's a double albums, two double albums back deck. But like that's another record that I'm like I have to be paying attention to every thing that is happening in this record. Or like I, I'll throw on like Lucero's Tennessee when I'm driving. Like that's mm. a, a that's a driving record for me. But specifically at night mm-hmm. when I have enough time to finish the whole thing, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm coming from another town or something. Like those those sacred records that you can only listen to and like and devote attention to, or that you only yeah, want to yeah. listen to it that way. There's a there's a band called um it's really this like obscure band called uh newfound interest in connecticut which is a ridiculous title for the band but they have uh like this one record where I, it's the weirdest thing like that is like if i'm driving four hours or something like that like that is what i'll put on because mm-hmm. it is just this like cacophony of just sound like it's a post-rock record but it's like it is like the greatest I hate this word, but it's like a cinematic just experience. Like you're like, it is that thing of just being like, I'm not going to think, talk, text, wonder, anything. I'm going to let this, it's almost like you're like, especially with driving too, it's just particularly kind of interesting because you're like, it's like you're in a simulation in a weird way. Like you're in, you're in a capsule, you know? I mean, experiencing things around you, but yet you're not, it's nothing is actually like tangibly like affecting you. You're just progressing into this state of being. Uh, it's almost like mindlessly consuming. And when you're driving in, in like, you're in this motion of going forward, you actually have time to then like your surroundings are, are separated. And to listen to things while you're driving is like a, a extreme luxury. And I love the fact that like you can, you have those records that like, yeah, it's something sacred. It's an experience that you're putting yourself into. It's not an experience that you are, that you're, you know, falling, like, like stumbling into, or it's like the experience is not happening to you. You are actually putting yourself into that experience. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's amazing as like a human being getting weird about it, but like we can subject ourselves into this, this, this form of reality that like music has this immense visceral impact and effect to us that like is so meaningful that we can recall it when we want to like that moment you're saying when you're in high school and you put it on and you had that moment like that is something that like on your timeline in your life you can look back and be like no something happened there was a before and an after (laughs) yeah you know I get really weird man I I try to hold back until until this point but like I, I just I think it's I think the, that is what is the best part about music and making music and, again, playing music and being in bands. And it's like, you know, Dylan, you said something about the woo-woo aspect of spirituality, like where songs come from. You know, I kind of fall on the other side of being like, where did this idea come from? Because, like, some songs will just come out of nowhere. And you'd be like, well, it's done. And, like, you know, I don't know how much this has to do with who's your do, but, like, you know, I, 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 I hear the record, I hear it, and I'm like, wow, I really wish if this was a fledged, a fully fledged out idea like, you know, um, Tommy or something like that, that would have been epic on an epic proportion, let alone just being a significant proportion. You know what I mean? I don't know. I did. We kind of approached this episode in a different 
way than we normally do. Dylan and I often just are like, start this way, go here, go here, go here. So like mm-hmm. this conversation has definitely been a much more just let's go with the flow of the conversation, which we'll see what people think. Cause you know, <laughs> people are particular with podcasts. Like it's yeah. very funny. Some people were like, that episode was amazing. And then other people were like, no, they didn't do their thing where they talk about, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, which like, I do apologize if this, if this is being to, to it, it's, a, it's how my brain works. I'm, you know, um, yeah. So it, if this isn't what people want, give me 1985. And I'll talk about less. <laughs> we'll go down exactly how you want to do it. So the reason why I say that is I wanted to talk about your music and we typically mm. do that at the top and we've done it in the middle and now at the end. So I really want to talk about Ivy League because okay. I ha- when I first is who cares? This is how the industry works. Uh, you had a PR person reach out mm-hmm. and say, hey, you want to talk to these guys? And I, I was like, I always, whenever I get those emails, I check out the artist to see if it's somebody I want to talk to or or the music is you know interesting and I, I enjoy it. So I heard the songs that you had out there and I was like, this is very interesting stuff. So I want to say the first single was already out, mm-hmm. The Wait. And I listened to that and I go, they're doing something a little different. Like it, you're just Ivy league is described as alt indie emo. I think is what the Spotify specifically says in the bio. Alt indie emo pop. Yeah. Oh, right. That yeah. Is, that's like tongue in cheek. Like there's like, <laughs> wink. that should be after that, you know? And so I'm like, okay, we're going to listen to an emo band. And I listen to the song and I'm like, they're doing something really fun here. And I've only really only heard like, two bands do do songs in this way so the first thing i noticed immediately is that song was pretty much entirely gang vocals or mm-hmm. layered vocals of you know different people and like there's only like two other bands i could think of that write whole songs that way the band from the uk called i feel fine yep yep community yeah beach community was like like a, a moment in my life when i heard that song for the first time because i heard that I was like, when that record came out, I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. A whole record that's like pretty much entirely gang and layered vocals. And so I got that feeling when I was listening to this. You write songs completely different. So I'm not saying this is like a derivative thing. Dylan reminded me of the other band who who does things that way. And they don't sound anything like you. Uh, You know, Diarrhea Planet, the the Tennessee (laughs) band. (laughs) They do records that way, too, where it's just like gang led, you know, group vocals throughout most of the whole thing. Um, completely different sounding bands. So I really love that. I think that's such a special and unique way of doing indie emo, you know, et cetera. What I know nothing about the band as far as background, where y'all came from, everything like that. So tell us what, what does yeah. Ivy come from? Yeah. I mean, um, uh, well, it's really funny because I, uh, it's, the gang vocal thing, just to touch on that, because that's something that caught. I played in bands my entire life, like, you know, obviously. Um, I played bass. Uh, I, I've never cared for... I always just... Every band I was in, the lead singer kind of ruins it. Like, <laughs> I, like the most literal explanation of what the lead... the Why it's gang vocals. That's, like, a huge thing. When I started writing this music, I wrote all the songs. I, I was like, I don't want a lead singer. I just don't. I don't. I don't. I again. I play post rock music. So a, a lot of the music in the records I've done before 
where post-rock, no singing and just soundscapes and stuff like that. So I came from that world, but I've always played in like alternative pop, like like punk pop bands. Like that was the music I love. I, I like we talked about being from Long Island, dude. Like you know, say what you will about Brand New and Taking Back Sunday, like that's like that started on Long Island. I grew up in that scene, so I was around all this like alternative punk pop stuff, and and um, you know that was the scene I grew up in. So I was doing like this post rock stuff on the side, playing in these like alternative bands. And then for a while, I wasn't in a band. I, funny enough, I broke my leg, shattered my leg, and I was working in, in film and photography, and I was really unhappy. I was really depressed, and um, I actually broke my leg running, which is weird. And then I found myself, I shattered the entire shin, and I found myself bedridden for two and a half months. And as I'm bedridden, I was like, whoa, I can't literally or 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 like, you know, like physically, like metaphorically run from my problems. So I was like, let me pick up my bass again because I haven't played bass in a while. And like, like literally a week, I wrote four songs. <laughs> and I was like, you know, why don't I at this point in my life, like music was done. Like I have my career. Like I, I, work, I do what I do. And then I was like, OK, let me let me kicked around the idea of playing these songs, recording them. And then the entire process of recording them was like, hey, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's try it out. And I wrote, I got in touch with the engineer. He's like, I want to do this immediately. I was like, okay, if he likes it, maybe it'll just be between me and him. Whatever. <laughs> Let me just fuck off and record it. He played drums on his name. is Nick uh, Starantino, amazing engineer and producer, uh, local on Long Island. We were like, yeah, let's go. Let's do the, you know, the Eric Valentine thing. Let's do the this thing. Let's do the this part from that. Like, we just had a blast. We recorded the entire thing in nine days. Um, I played bass. He did drums. I played guitars. And I was like, every time I got to the studio, it was like, I don't know the guitar part. Let's see if this works. And mm -hmm. it just did. And then when we got to vocals, he's like, well, what do you want to do with vocals? You know, do you want these? And I was like, you know, I've always just loved gang vocals and the whole ethos of the band at that point, I had, I had written the concept of it was like the most inclusive thing of just being like, you know, everyone is a part of this thing. It's the reason why the band's called Ivy League is because I took something that I always wanted to go to Brown University when I was again a history kid, like and I didn't get in and I wanted to be in an Ivy League. I wanted that like pristine and so fuck it, I never got it. I'll make my own, you know, that punk rock thing. But fuck it, you're not gonna bring me to your club. I'm gonna make the same thing. <laughs> and I, I really love just being like at that point in my life, I was like, man, I really, I hate the the this like ethos that some of these bands are getting, where it's like, you know, every a lot of the music I was hearing was kind of like disconnected. There was no connection between. I'd go see, I'd go and see shows. And I go and see artists and everyone's doing the singles. Everyone's doing the pop, like lead singer, you know, whatever. Um, friend, you know, there is no like records coming out that are like important. It's just like single, single, single. And even if there is a band coming out doing things, people are just doing things that like, OK, bands were doing this 10 years ago, 20 years. Like nothing is new coming out. So I was like, fuck all that noise, man. Like I want I want the, I want to play a show and I want 
that moment when you're singing the song and the singer's singing the song and the crowd singing the, the words, the chorus, and it's that magical moment of when the audience becomes part of the band. That's what I wanted in the band. I wanted that moment of when I was a kid singing the songs with the band. I felt like I was a part of them. I felt like I was in the movement of what they were trying to do. I wanted that to be the entire part of this band. I don't want it to just be John Rossi's band. I wanted it to be, hey, when you're at the show, you're singing the words too. It's all gang. We're all part of the lead singers. We're all the most important part, in quotes, part of the band. That was the whole idea of it. So, you know, when you guys listen to the, the EP, like that first song, it's called, you know, the whole thing of the chorus is like, welcome to the Ivy League. You know, it's that idea of like, hey, you are a part of this thing. This is what you are. So I appreciate the fact that you that you, that you enjoyed it so much. And, and it, 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 the fact that like you got that means that I did what I wanted to do and I, what I was set myself out to do. So that means a lot. The listening to it, I was like, this is going to be amazing in a in a live setting. Like, this is this My is God. going to be one of those things that's like when, when everybody knows the words of the song. That's going to be so much fun because those are literally the best shows that I've ever been yeah. to are the ones where it's like the 20 to 50 to 100 people are singing along with the singer. And Dude, it's I, just, could, I, I could cry right now because that's that is the only thing that I ever want to hear. Like, I, I don't I don't I don't even know how to say thank you. That's why that didn't make sense. <laughs> what I just said, but like, I, I, I can't I can't explain to you how important that is to me because again like i'm not a great looking dude you guys are looking at me right now like i don't have what i don't have that thing that like you know that like is the selling point and i don't i don't want that thing i don't want that i i just want to play a show with the band like we played a show um we have one show under our belt right now and i asked my friend i was like how'd it go and they were like you guys put a vibe out and everyone flowed with it and I was like, that's all I need to know. Like, I, I cannot wait for this to come out and for people to hear it and be like, oh, this is going to be fun. And yeah. this is going to be that thing of being like, again, we joked around that, but like I was sat out and I was like, no, I just want to I want to be that band that you put on when you're driving to the ocean at three <laughs> o'clock in the morning because you're in high school or you're in college or you're 40 years old and you got shit that you got to work out. <laughs> and you need something to get emotional to and you need to feel it's like that Jerry Maguire moment when he's singing Free Fallen by Tom Petty. He just <laughs> needed to put something on. It's that moment that you feel in your life that you're like, yeah, like I want to be like I listen like I'm wearing a Frightened Rabbit shirt right now. And I, I actually just listened to Pedestrian Verse yesterday and I felt like Scott was when he sings his songs, he's he's singing to you. Not, but not just you as an individual. He's individually singing to every single person listening to that record. Mm -hmm. And when I write the songs, when I was writing the words, like, yeah, like a lot of this stuff has to do with my mental health. And it's something that, like, you know, the weight had to do, our first single has to do with literally me struggling with like body dysmorphia. It has to, has to just with me dealing with like things that like made me go through terrible anorexia and all that stuff and the next single that i'm trying to promote with you guys called mm -hmm. we, are, we are infinite you know that's a, a literal conversation if you listen to the words it's a it's a me explaining to uh it's my mom to be honest that's like verbatim of being like this is my mental state right now you want to know the truth 
here it is. But the song is like poppy. It's like a happy yeah. song. It's it's almost like um, you know the 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 chorus is like it's got hey hey haze. Yeah. It's got clapping. It's got tambourine. And then there's also like a breakdown in the song too. Um it's a it's you know and the song is taken the title is taken from a quote from the book Perks of Being a Wallflower which is almost like a meta version of it because of the the timeline of that movie and book the narrative arc is the same narrative arc of the song. So there's a lot of like like stupid I think highfalutin, I think I'm cool by doing this. You know, you can listen to the song and love it, right? Or you can get really in deep and think about it. And it's, you know, it's like I, I'm, I'm obsessed with like, I'm obsessed with like Rush, you know what I mean? And Cody and Cambria. So like on the surface, the song's cool and it's great and it's poppy and it's awesome and whatnot. And I think people love it. But then like that's the surface. And then once you open the door into it, you're like, oh, my God, there's so much more. Remind me, is the song out already when this episode goes up, or no, is it the coming so, out? No, the, um, the song will not be out. It's The pre-save is there. Uh, it comes out on the Friday of National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. It's March 5th, and we have a pre-save and pre-order on our Instagram, uh, and we did the whole distro kid. It'll be on every single platform. So whether you have Spotify iTunes music, YouTube music, Amazon music. Once you just hit pre-save, it'll immediately go into your library on March 5th at 11 a.m. And I will make sure in the show notes to include a link to that pre-save. So this will go up Wednesday. That one, the song will go up Friday, right? That's the idea. So the pre-save is in the show notes for everybody listening. And the next thing I want to ask, you, you hinted at it earlier working on some new stuff. What is the next step? This song's coming out. What's next? Yeah. So, well, you had said that a marketing person reached out to you. This was, um, it's cool because again, it started on this like little baby idea and every step we were kind of just being like, we kind of like didn't stumble upon it, but we're like, well, what do we want to do next? And it's like, Oh, we should get a marketing person to kind of help because this industry in this world is so crazy. You know, getting in touch with people is really difficult and to get hurt is really difficult. So right now, Our next step is we have a four song EP. We have one single out right now. The next single is We Are Infinite that comes out in March. Then we have one more single to release and then we're going to release the EP. So we have we're right now just looking to get our numbers up. I know that sounds so shallow and I feel (laughs) such I feel like the biggest, biggest phony to say that because. I talked to our engineer and I was just like, fuck it, I'm going to put it live. And whatever happens, whatever happens, punk rock, right? Yeah. And a lot of people were like, whoa, whoa, dude, dude, think about this for a second. You actually have something here that is worth focusing on. So focus on it and do this. Do this. Res- give it the respect it deserves. So I'm being fully blunt and honest with, with, with how I'm approaching this whole thing. We just want people to hear it and I want to play shows. I just all I want to do in my life is play music live. So what I'm asking, the next thing I want to do is we're taking care of the distribution. We're taking care of all that stuff. What I want to do is if you are a local person that knows a vendor or a billing a, a booking agent or a band or tours or whatever, get in touch with me. My Instagram, the band's Instagram is um, at Ivy League underscore band. We just want to go on tour. We just want to play shows. We want to make that connection that people hear 
of, oh, I want to sing these songs live with this band. We want to make that into a reality more than just me, you know, writing songs in my apartment. I, I, I want to be I want to have that 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 connection with people. So that's the next step really is we're taking care of releasing the EP um, should be out by the summertime. Now we just want to just play as many shows as humanly possible in as many places as humanly possible. I'll include a link to the Instagram as well Thanks. in the uh, show notes there. So I'm looking forward to hearing the whole thing for everyone else to get a chance to listen to everything and to hear the new song whenever it goes up Friday. John, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, Dad. This is a really you, fun conversation. You. Yeah, this is this has been a blast. I'm really sorry I did things ass backwards, and I hope <laughs> your listeners aren't pissed off that I that I kind of talk too much. Um, but this was an absolute pleasure. And I again, give me any year, like give me 1927. We'll do Duke Allen. We'll do whatever <laughs> you guys want to do. I, I would love to come back if if it's appropriate. So absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, I cannot wait to to post about this and and get people to hear your stuff. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will see you next time.